it happens to be a light day and you just happen to catch me at the right time, yeah, come into my office. No need to set up an appointment. And that happened. Like that, you know, that wasn't like, but that was the exception, not the rule. Most times it's, I need you to get on my schedule. So here's our card. Here's my card. Send me a calendar link or, you know what, ask for my calendar link. Can I get on your calendar? Don't take up an hour and a half, two hours. Like you should be able to show me some value within 20 minutes. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson. And we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about payday conversations and how to increase your conversions. I've got Sonia Dumas with me, and uh, she's the founder of CurioHoss, which is an innovative company focused on helping execution-driven leaders generate extreme results by scaling and building powerful offers. Sonia, welcome to the show. Oh, so glad to be here, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. Glad to have you on. Should be a fun one. Um, uh-huh. and, and you've been a speaker feature in a, in a, a variety of interesting things. You, uh, you're author of the CPA Academy, um, Intuit Tax Pro Center, the Sales Expert Channel, and FinancialAdvisor.com. Um, and you do a lot of research focused on small scale, on, on scaling small businesses and cryptocurrencies impact on business, which is super interesting. Yeah. Um, another thing that is interesting to chat with you about is that you were the purchasing director uh, and you've worked in a bunch of uh, companies in the hospitality space, Starwood, SLS Casinos, some huge um, companies in the hospitality industry. And as a purchasing director, super interesting to get your perspective for field salespeople because you were the person that field salespeople sell to. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, one of the things is, especially in hospitality, you know, getting to the purchasing director early in your conversation was so important. Um, you know, I worked a lot with the uh, the chefs and especially in the, the, the restaurant side of things. And the thing is, a vendor would go to the chefs and convince them of all the great things they have to offer. But the problem was the purchasing director and the chef has to be in, um, I would say, a bit of agreement on what the budget was. So, you know, being able to spend $30 on mushrooms versus going to Cisco and spending $5, mm, you better have a uh, good relationship uh, with both the um, you, ideally the chef and the purchasing director. Um, because at the end of the day, what I was in countless conversations and a lot of times how I felt about a vendor and notice I said the word felt, how mm-hmm. I felt about a vendor is actually what helped to guide the decision. You know, now sometimes quality is quality and you have to go with that and there is no other option. And so I did find that some of the best salespeople or, or the best sales reps out there were the ones that didn't really have any competition in their space as far as the quality that they offered or maybe the product was very unique or the service was very unique. And so if you have the opportunity, if there's something at your company that is unique that other um, uh, vendors and competitors don't have access to, being able to present that can be what tips the conversation in your favor. Um, But, you know, another thing that I found out was uh, just seeing how uh, sales rep, when it, going back to how I felt. So a purchasing director is looking for a couple of things. Yes, money is top of mind, but that's actually, 
you know, lower on the list. The most important thing I found as a purchasing director was, can you deliver on time at the quality of whatever it is we agree to? Because here's the problem, if especially for a restaurant, if a key ingredient does not deliver and we have, you know, a, 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 um, a, an event of 20 people who are, you know, high level, you know, top, you know, first class clients and that key ingredient is missing, like the pandemonium that happens behind the scenes, right? The, the heads that get cut off or cussed out, you know, all of that happens and that stress hits the purchasing director, it hits the purchasing department, it hits the kitchen. And so the fact that you were $2 cheaper or $2 higher doesn't mean anything at that point. So purchasing directors are typically looking first for quality. Are you on time? If there's a problem, do you fix it? You know, especially on the weekends, like hey, saying, hey, our offices aren't open. Like, look, drive to the hotel and figure it out. Like, get me my stuff. And um, it only takes really one, no more than two of those occasions to lose that purchasing director for good. And unless the executives high up or the chef pushes to say, no, we have to use this vendor, trust me, that purchasing director is looking for a plan B. So does that help give some perspective? Absolutely. Yeah, that, I think that's really helpful for people to hear the perspective. And, and there, was some, there, were, there were a lot of really important nuggets in there. You know, the, the trade-off between willingness to spend money as a purchasing director uh, to reduce risk, you know, to, to the risk of not on-time deliveries, the risk of lower quality, the, the risk of them not being able to fix something on a weekend if they forgot to send the mushrooms, like how, how can they cure the problem? Um, I, I think that's a really important thing for people to know is if you, if you do have a better service and a better, a less risky service mm -hmm. to a vendor, um, the purchasing director and the people in charge of, of the purse strings on that side are more likely to pay more money for your product if you do have a better product, right? So it's, it's, it, it's so important to make sure that you, you I guess there's, there's tons of lessons there for a salesperson. You got to make sure you work for a great company because if you work for yeah. a company that's not a great company, you, you, you lose deals. And it's not because you're not a good salesperson. It's because people ultimately are making a lot of, the, a lot of their decision on the, on the quality of the product, the risk of the product. Mm -hmm. Another thing was how you feel about a vendor, which is affected both by the product and how you feel about the person being, no, you know, did they, did they figure out that it's not just important to talk to the chef, but did they figure out, oh, I've got to talk to the purchasing director too and get the intro from the chef to you early in the process. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. changes the way you feel about them. So like a lot of people feel like they're being too pushy in sales, I think, when they're like, hey, who else should we have involved in this conversation? What does the process look like to make a purchase? What are there are there legal things or budgetary things that we have to have sign off and who would be the people that sign off? You know, you feel like you're putting your prospect, you know, putting them out a little bit if it, or like, you know, going around them or, or, you know, being annoying to them by asking those questions. But actually it's in, every, it's in everyone's best interest to, to figure this stuff out early on because, you know, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want a pissed off purchasing director later on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, some of the feel part is nonverbal, right? It's how you show up. It's the cues. Are you paying attention? 
or does does it feel like you just want me to sign the contract? And the thing is, at, at that point, it's not about price. Like, I mean, we're really splitting pennies a lot of the times when you're going after a service because, unfortunately, a lot of services are or in products are commoditized. So we already know the range. There's very few that's offering like something that's out of range. So whatever you're offering, you're probably within a 10% range of whatever your competitor is offering. That's like what I saw across the board, especially if it's um, a product that isn't necessarily exceptional, like mushrooms, right? Or even right. like your beer, unless your beer is crafted in a way that nobody's ever heard of before, you're all in the same price range because the company's already done that market research to figure out what your price point is. And so the feeling part, it's, it's the, it's, you can't, you can't really quantify it, but don't ever underestimate it because if someone doesn't feel like you're connected with them, going back to connections with people, then they'll, they'll put you in the, okay, we're just going to put you through the bid process, which is the worst process. Cause that's usually just a formal way of doing things. Um, and to your point, when you were asking about, you know, who are the key stakeholders in this, in this conversation, like, Take some of the corporate phrase, like who are the key stakeholders in this? Just be like, who else needs to be a part of this conversation? Be casual about it. Key stakeholders feels like once again, you just pulled me back into a sales process. But the thing is um, asking, you know, who who's going to have a, a direct impact on you being able or not so much direct impact. Who else do I need to engage with in order to deliver this to you? That's another way of phrasing it. And the way the reason why you ask that is because if, for instance, this product or service requires the C-suite to be involved, well, they're not just going to they have busy lives. There, it takes so much to get on the schedule of one C, you know, one CFO, CEO, you know, chief marketing officer. Just to get on the schedule of one of them is already difficult. To get on the schedule of three, four, five of them, it has to make sense. It has to be worth everyone's time. So, being able to ask whoever you're engaging with, um, whether it's the chef or the purchasing director, to say who else is going to, um, who else needs to be a part of uh, this process as far as me being able to deliver this. I can tell you for most purchases, the CFO is not getting involved. The CEO is not getting involved. That's why they hired their people to do that for them. And so just find ways to figure out who else needs to be a part of the process. And if it is no one else, if it stops and ends with that person. But if you know there's a purchasing department, then find out you know what that looks like. So it's it's about being inquisitive and being flexible to the situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that you're selling to aren't necessarily professional buyers, right? The purchasing the purchasing director is, but if you're talking to the 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 head chef about new mushrooms or new tomatoes or whatever it is, I literally you know, yesterday talked to you know the, the, uh, an executive at a company they sell cheese like to Italian food restaurants and pizza places and stuff like that. I mean, it's like a you know, they sell $100 million of cheese a year or something. It's crazy. But, you know, they have field salespeople. And so that's how I was talking to them. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think they, you're talking to the, when you're talking to the chef about, you know, purchasing whatever the thing is, they may, this may be the first time they've purchased something in their organization. They might, they may not know, oh, you're going to give us a contract to sign. There's a whole process for that. There's a, this is Starwood. There's a, a legal yeah. department and we're going to have to have the legal department sign off on this um they, they i can't just sign your contract i'm not authorized to do that i'm, I'm the chef um mm -hmm. 
and, and so you, you're doing them a favor if you, they, they may not be experienced buyers, you're doing them a favor by asking these questions that are, that are such important questions to move, that ultimately block your deal from getting done down the line. Mm-hmm. I think we might have to retitle this, uh, this, <laughs> this episode, yeah. Con- Conversations, Connections, Con- Conversations, com- Connections, Conversions. That'd be- yeah, yeah, I, I culinary. <laughs> culinary conversations, conversations, Connections, and Conversions. I, I, I don't know if we can say that four times fast, but. Um. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And here, here's the thing. Another way I've seen, um, it, since we're seeing, we seem to be focused on food service, let's focus on food service, right? So food service reps. Uh, one of the things I've seen companies do well is um, whether it's on the um, whether it's uh, you know spirits and alcohol or it's cheeses and truffles is they create an experience not only for the chef but for maybe some of the servers and the purchasing directors. So a lot of the times, um, especially the ones that were smart and they got it, they actually invited me to a tasting with the chef. So as a purchasing, so when you you don't do it right away. You say, hey, chef, let's follow up. I want to bring in a flight, right? So use their language, right? A flight or a course of cheeses or truffles or tomatoes for not only you and your staff, but also the purchasing director, whoever else that other person that's involved in the purchasing process. Hey, if it's legal, trust me, no one turns down food, right? Food and alcohol, (laughs) no one's turning that down. I can have a busy day, but oh, wait a minute. We're trying out these new cheeses. Look, I'm a foodie. I will drop a meeting <laughs> for a tasting. <laughs> if it's afternoon, you're you're totally you're totally golden to to do a, a tequila flight tasting at work. Isn't that the rule? <laughs> that is that is, and so timing it right. Don't do it first thing in the morning, but do it towards the end of the day. Obviously, before you know main service times. But the whole thing is is that as I'm tasting your cheeses and your truffles and your tomatoes. Like one, I'm enjoying the product. So I'm seeing that this is a quality product. So when the chef says this is the best, I can be like, yeah, chef, it is the best. So all of a sudden my ability to want to object to anything has pretty much gone out the window because my taste buds or has been activated. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to feeling, right? Dopamine starts to get released. Everyone's feeling good and laughing. All of a sudden that contract of can you shave off a dollar turns into how soon can you deliver? Yeah. And so so just keep that in mind that as you as you create experiences for your clients in a way that's a little bit different, especially if you're in food service, you have so many options that, you know, someone selling software can't necessarily you can't taste software. That's why it feels I think that's why maybe sometimes it feels like a commoditized business. Well, like, I think that's that's important, though. Right. Like whatever you're selling, I think it's important to make it a truffle. Right. Yes. Like to, if you want to have that, the second part of our talk today, connections, you got to make your product a truffle, even if it's, you know, manure that you, you're selling to farmers. Right. Like it's got you got to make it fun. You got to make it make it make it exciting. And you do have to connect with people over it. And, and you know, if they're if they're interested in buying it, even if it's something as boring as software, it's because they're going to get value out of it. So you can connect. You can you can let them taste the value that they're going to get, and that's that's interesting to try, even if it's not as delicious as a truffle. Right, <laughs> and, you know, and interesting enough, selling manure, right? Being able to bring in different kinds of because you know anyone's farm and agriculture, we kind of like putting our hands in the soil. 
So if you're selling manure or a special compost or whatever, bring a flight of that so people can get, there's something about the tactile experience that you can touch. Look, someone who's buying manure has touched manure and a whole bunch of other things that most of us would never do. That's right. They're, they're, <laughs> they're ready to get up to their elbows. <laughs> right, right. And they know, they know the smell, the texture, the grittiness. They know all kinds of science about it that beyond me, I'm like, what, what's my local landscaping selling? That's what I'm buying. But the whole thing is, is you create a tactile experience that feels real, that either that once again triggers in the brain, I like this or I don't. So obviously, if you have a crappy product, right, you have some Home Depot manure that you're trying to sell off. Uh, you, you may want to upgrade it, right? Put some amendments in there to make it like extra black gold, <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. that. Is. <laughs> and and in, in your time as a purchasing director, what are some things? that really stood out to you as being great sales practices? And what are some things that stood out to you as, as being big mistakes? I think uh, big mistakes, just cold emails out of the blue. I pretty much deleted most of them. Uh, solid, uh, one of the things is um, what was done well is that certain uh, reps would actually show up but they wouldn't show up to say, have a meeting with me right now. That's also another big mistake to say, okay, I'm going to sell you right now. It would, the best ones came in, they respected my time, right? Because I'm stressed about running, you know, a 200 room hotel with three restaurants. I don't have time to drop everything so I can, you know, buy whatever it is you're selling at that point. Which so, is often, often the case with, with the types yes. of reps that, that are listening to this podcast. I mean, this is a, you know, people... They, their job is to sell something to someone who is a decision maker, who is often a very busy person and very hard to reach. Uh, you know, reaching them is half the, half the reason they're field sales in the first place. I mean, if, right. if we could just toss our product up on, on a website for, you know, I could, throw, I could throw together a website in two hours and we could just do the whole business through that, right? Like, it, there's a reason that doesn't work. And, right. uh, and so this is, this is such an important thing for people to understand is the perspective of this busy person. Like, I got 17 things right now on my to-do list. Right. right, and not to mention the 10 things I wasn't able to get to yesterday because a fire came through because a vendor didn't deliver or the systems went down. And so know that when you do show up, a one, the minute they know you're selling something, guards are up. So it's, can I schedule some time with you, right? That's a bet. So knowing that, yes, this is a two-step process. Now, if it happens to be a light day and you just happen to catch me at the right time, yeah, come into my office. No need to set up an appointment. And that happened. Like that, you know, that wasn't like, but that was the exception, not the rule. Most times it's, I need you to get on my schedule. So here's our card. Here's my card. Send me a calendar link or, you know what, ask for my calendar link. Can I get on your calendar? Don't take up an hour and a half, two hours. Like you should be able to show me some value within 20 minutes. And I, then I'd say it, 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 to get the meeting, it's got to be faster than that. I always think about the old holding the match trick where like you have to be able to give your give your basic pitch before the match burns your fingers. <laughs> right, right. Well, 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 I'm saying the actual meeting after that. So yeah, yeah. so do the match thing, right? You got to match. <laughs> and that actually may be a cool trick to do with your clients. Okay, you know, I don't, they're going to be worried you're going to burn your fingers, but you know, it's fun. <laughs> You're you're in, you're in a star with lighting up books of matches. Yeah, <laughs> the fire department is gonna love you. That's, <laughs> not, that's not how we make connections. Maybe, maybe that's how we make a good conversation. <laughs> this is true. But the whole idea is that 
knowing that it's at least in the world today that we live in today, this is a multi-step conversation, right? So the first drive there, it's let me get on your calendar. Then the next one is, once again, if we're focusing on food service, you need to show up with something to, to grab the appetite, right? Whatever that is. Um, and then from there, knowing that, yeah, the, the third one may be a phone call or it may be showing up again, but know that you're at least in this for three meetings. And in that way, no one feels rushed. Everyone understands what's being offered. And then they're able to make a rational decision. But if you have, I mean, hospitality is insanely busy. Like there's no, even though front desk looks calm, everyone is always in a state of anxiety and stress and pressure for the next guest that's coming through, for the next event that's coming through. So you interrupting that that um, that moment or that process is it. It's not going to fare well if you try to push your way through that door. It's better to be able to say, hey, I understand. And it's not so much I understand you're busy. We're all busy. So it's more of like, hey, I understand your responsibilities. Or I, under, I, I understand that, you know, your schedule's tight today. Is there a way I can get on your calendar, you know, later on this week, next week? Like, you know, give people the, the flexibility, and that's the thing that um, hospitality, unfortunately, doesn't offer uh, its employees. I always say this. Hospitality is hospitable to everybody except the people who work there. Like, just remember that. Like, just because you're in hospitality, you're not about to get, you know, the ex experience five-star service unless you've actually checked in as a guest. <laughs> if you haven't and you work there, um, it's not a hospitable place. That's, that's, the, that's the reality. It's a business and it's an intense business. Very much so. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I, you're bringing back all kinds of memories. My job all through college was, uh, I, I was, I did weddings for the Radisson and Madison. I was like banquet waitstaff for the Radisson and Madison, Wisconsin. Right. So that's where the name Badger Maps came from. I went to Madison, Wisconsin for college, and so uh, that that was my job. So you know, it's it's a frantic industry. It's like it was wild. It was, you know, but there, there's a wedding today and there's a wedding tomorrow, and they're. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's, yeah. everybody's going to be drunk and hungry and dancing and trying to do the worm on the dance floor and broken glass. And it's, it's a, it's a real shit show. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is your experience, it's like groundhog day for those who work there. It's like you as a guest thinking, Oh my gosh, this is the first time ever. Like, you know, this is the most one. And it's like the staff is like, this is the 10,677. Yes. Your wedding is the most special. Your, your birthday is the most special. Like, of course, everyone's the most special, but they've been through like 500 of them, like in the last like quarter. So it's like, all right. All right, on the smile. Hello, welcome. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to keep track of who the mother of the bride is. That's that's important. <laughs> right, right, right. And everything has to be flawless. And mm -hmm. the thing is, the staff is usually stressed out, so mistakes happen. But for some reason, the guests think that everyone is, you know, you had eight eight hours of sleep and you just got back from a spa, and that the staff is just at their most pristine. And that takes skills because. One of the things I recognize is um, boutique hotels, they're small for a reason. So that way they can keep quality high because the minute you become a 500 room hotel, it's, it is a shit show. And yeah. that, that's said in emails all the time. Well, guys, another shit show, another day. Another shit show. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow we make a profession out of it. We make money. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a huge industry, right? Uh, yeah. So I, how does, how does the, 
it being a digital era now, how has, uh, you know, think, speaking of changes since when I was in college, um, now that it's a digital era, how can a sales rep approach a conversation in a more human way, um, you know, kind of, and still focus on it being a win-win for both the prospect and, and your business? So, you know, one of the things I'm, I've found when it comes to sales is something I, I like to call the process of seeding, right? So uh, when's the best time to plant a garden? Usually as early as possible, right? Because you, you don't know what's going to happen long term, you know, down the line. And so the best time to start to seed prospects, because not everyone's ready, especially with purchasing, sometimes contracts are signed and you got to wait until that expires and all of that. But the thing is helping, having early conversations about the idea of having more, earning more, whatever that more may be, or whatever that value is that that particular business um, or purchasing director is looking for, having that conversation as early as possible is one of the ways that you, I would say you humanize it because you're not so much focused on buy my stuff right now, even though, yes, that's going on in the back of your head. But the, pro the whole idea is for someone to feel what I call the event of discontent. At some point, right? I, I think there's a uh, statistic that says at any given time, only 3% of your market is actually in buying mode. And the other 97% are either in status quo mode or they just bought something. So they're not interested or they're not even looking. And so you being able to show up, say, hey, especially if you're new to the area, hey, I'm new to the area. This is one of the services or products that we offer, um, you know, not here to sell you right now or not so much sell you. But, you know, I just want you to have a face to a name, see who I am, understand that, you know, this is how we give you more. And it's not so much more value, more service, more quality. It's we get you more of whatever you want to achieve. Right. So and like I said, that can be a, a variety of things. but the whole idea of this preceding is that at some point, this event of discontent, not feeling like we have enough. I, don't, it's, I think it's just in human nature, we get discontented. So we decide we're, we're going to like tear down half our house and remodel it. Like the house was fine two months ago, right? But all of a sudden we're just discontented for some reason. So we need to go and buy something, change things up. You know, the staff I have, no one's good. I want to get rid of everybody and start all over. Like how many times have we had that just personally in our own lives, this event of discontent that drives you to go buy something? And usually you buy whatever it is you remember has been seeding. Like, you know what? I think it's about time I bought that Lambo. I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to go all on the Lambo right now. It's <laughs> Whereas last week, nobody was thinking about Lambo, right? I think, I think this is where midlife crises has come from, right? Yeah. Where event of discontent happens and all of a sudden this person's in not only buying zone, but I want to buy now. I want to fix the problem now. So the event of discontent can be like, I've had enough with this problem whether it's you know a weight issue or not enough revenue or I'm tired of my clients leaving or I'm tired of always having to hire new people or I'm tired of my internet service provider going down. Like some problem triggers them to say, who can solve it now? And if you've been showing up on a consistent basis and this is where the consistency comes into play, if you walked in the door when that event of discontent happens, chances are you're getting that sale like almost immediately. Because it's like rip that problem, shred it to pieces as fast as possible. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So it's such an important, I feel like one of the huge takeaways of today is how, how you have to be inside of the mind of your prospective buyer and really, you know, learn to think the way they think, put yourself in their shoes, empathize. Um, so important. Uh, on these, uh, you talked about payday conversations. What, what are payday conversations and how can salespeople apply the ideas behind payday conversations to improve their performance? Yeah, one of the things I like to look at, uh, the lens I look at payday conversations from is, yeah, I call it the three C's, curiosity. There's something about sparking our curiosity, which really is about attention. Something grabs our attention to say, hmm, I want to learn more or I want to experience more um, or I want to experience what that thing is and what it does, because it's not so much what it is and what it does, but what it will get me. Right. What are those results? And so curiosity starts with, once again, how you show up to, you know, to, to this prospect, at least the first time. And sometimes curiosity can be, you know, something as simple as some kind of, um, almost kind of like a little bit of a remember me gift or in, and not, you know, this isn't about like bribing or buying or, you know, buying expensive things, but it's something that says, um, that more that you're looking for, I know a little bit about that. Right. And that could be a variety of things, but there needs to be something I'm going to say tactile that scratches the curiosity itch. And once that curiosity itch happens, then it's like, let's have a conversation because we want, we want that question answered in our mind. What if, because curiosity is always about what if, right? So how can you take that? What if I do change my service provider or my food service provider or whoever's providing this product? What if I change and I go through the process and the intensity and the effort of changing, because that's also painful, right? Because your client wants to get rid of the pain. But if they feel like the effort is not going to be worth the result, they're not going to do it. It's like, oh, it's too much, too much of a pain. But when you, you know, when you ignite curiosity that leads to a conversation, then it's about confidence. And, it, and this goes back to what I said earlier. It's confidence that you can beyond just deliver is confidence in who you are as a person. So, you know, as an outside sales rep, be aware of the companies you choose to align to, because even if you switch to another company, at the end of the day, people are going to attach that stigma of that last company that even you said was crap, right? Like, yeah, that was a crappy company. I shouldn't have worked for them. Well, in the back of their mind, it's like, so why did you? Did you need the money? Like, why did you put your reputation into a company that burned my business or burned my client? And now I had to play fix up. And now you're saying, oh, but now I work for this greater company that's even so much better selling the same thing. Well, that may be true. This new company you're at may be even better. But the problem is my experience with you was negative. And so that's going to carry on with you. So just keep that in mind that confidence is in who you are as a sales rep to take care of business. Hey, just take care of me. Make it as no brainer as possible. And if that confidence is there, conversions are highly likely. I'll put it that way. Well, there's having confidence in yourself and you're also building confidence or trust in them about you. And I think that's both are so important to, to drive a conversion. There's so many great C words here. It's really, uh, we're, we're going to write you a new title of your book. I'm working on it in the back of my mind right now. Um, your, your next book is, is already got a title. All right. <laughs> can, can you write the foreword for me? 
I, 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 yeah, sure, I can do that. that that's that, 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 I do that sort of thing. Um, so uh, you talked about curiosity, and I think I think curiosity is so important in in uh, in sales. How can you how can you be a curious person? But also, how can you build curiosity in what, and this is the thing that jumped out at me that you were talking about. You were talking, mm -hmm. you, you hear all the time that salespeople need to be curious, but how mm -hmm. can you build curiosity in your prospect about you and your product? I think the, one of the things is, is not to, you know, go down the list of like all the features. It's, it really, I wouldn't say unfortunately, it is, um, it's about imagination. That's why I use the word what if, right? What if you can have more? What if this problem never has to exist ever again? What if, right? So you're taking people down an imaginary future that they want, right? This is something that they want, but they don't know how to access it. And all the service providers that provided for them up until this point, eh, you know, they, they haven't really made traction with them. So it's starting with the... I. I that's really the, I would say the key phrase is what if, and it's not about what if you can work less and, and make more and, you know, live this live anywhere lifestyle. Like everybody says that, but at the end of the day, when you understand, you know, especially if you've been in your business for a while, you've talked to enough clients and prospects that you know what their pain points are. So you can say, Hey, what if, you know, you, you never had, you would never have to have one of your staff members come in and say the system's down again. What, what if you that conversation, because then all of a sudden they're thinking about the two or four or 10 times a week staff members interrupt their world to say it's down again and you're the only one authorized to call customer support and they want your blood and your fingerprint in order to even give you any help. <laughs> and like, what if that didn't have to exist anymore? Because here is what we do to make sure that problem is not even a problem. And if it is, don't worry, it's taken care of. Text me, here's my number. Text me when you're like, and just, and all you have to do is say, fix it. And I'm calling you immediately. I love it. Uh, it's uh, such a great way to look at it. Um, and, and, and how can, how can you separate yourself from, from your competitors uh, with, with this? How can you, how can you build an offer that is differentiated from your competitors? Well, it goes back to, you know, what's the size of your company? If you're working for a small firm, a boutique firm, you have a little bit more flexibility. If you're working for a big juggernaut, then you got to work with what they have. But, you know, for those of you who are in small boutique, privately run businesses, uh, I would say one of the things is, is to one, document what you're, the feedback that you're hearing, right, from prospects, from clients. And it's super simple. Write down whatever their problems are. And then what you have to do is take those problems and turn them into a product, right? So if the, the problem is, is that, you know, let's stick with the system, the system's always down, right? That's the problem that they always talk about. Well, in your product, it's, you know, system always up package, right? Things are always up. You've just named the product, the problem as a product. 
And so in, in a way, and then you can add as many features as you want to that, right? And it may be only one or two things that you need. You don't have to go overboard. Be, you just have to do more than what your competitors are doing. So if your competitors are only offering, you know, um, service support Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to, you know, 5 p.m., then your, you know, never a down moment package is 24-7, 365, you send a text to this number, it's, and someone's on it immediately. And being able to show, and, and here's the cool part. You're like, okay, but the company, they have to then make sure those processes are set up and we have the staff or we have, have the tech to support that. Guess what? You get to charge a premium now because your competitor is not offering that. So you can easily charge three, five, 10 times more to know peace of mind. Peace of mind is priceless, but you know we are going to put a price on it. <laughs> and so the price is, if you go with your competitors, you're spending $700 a month. If you go with us, you're spending $1,800, but guess what? You have peace of mind 24-7, and when stuff goes wrong, and from what you've explained to me, stuff is always going wrong here, <laughs> that this, I'm taking this problem off your plate. So that's another way to create curiosity is to say, what problems can I take off your plate? that you know what you've just had enough of that you wish somebody would help to solve, you know, outside of like world peace and curing global hunger, like outside of those issues for your business specifically. I love that. Um, and it, we, we talk a lot about innovation and uh, it, what, changing your messaging. What, what are some of your biggest takeaways um, from your time in this role that salespeople can can you can what can they do to improve their message to craft their their uh, their message to have greater impact? I yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, being in tune with what with what's going on in society, um, people feel powerless on a lot of different levels. Especially if you're working for a big company, you can feel powerless. Like nothing I do makes a difference. Um, and even owners, especially entrepreneurs, small business owners, a lot of them feel powerless. Like I'm doing all these things. I'm investing all this time and money and the results I want are not really happening. And so in your messaging, being able to show people you actually do have power, you do have control. And this isn't like mythical stuff, right? This isn't like mystic, euphoric, whatever. It's, it's more about how can you show people that if you take these actions, your power increases, your outcomes increases, uh, the support that you need. So a lot of people just feel like there are a lot of people who own businesses who just feel like they have no support. They're surrounded by people. This, then this is the thing I learned, you know, being a person director is seeing how many other directors, whether it was a food and beverage director or the finance director, oh, they had a staff, they had people, but they had no support. Think about that. And being able to be, even if you're on the outside, someone who supports them as an individual, you're supportive of their career, you're supportive of them succeeding. Guess what? When they eventually get fed up with the company that they're with, say it's one of those companies, um, they're going to take you with them wherever they go. Whatever oh, yeah. that next job, that next opportunity, or if they decide to start their own business um, or making a recommendation, you never know who you're talking to that is the next step in your career, but all because you're showing them, here's how to have power, here's how to have control, and not like, you know, narcissistic control. This is helping to control your outcomes in a way that supports whatever your bigger goals are for yourself personally and for your department or for your business. 
Yeah, it's it's funny through through my career and you know the the last decade I've been running Badger Maps. Obviously, the the we get it, this is such an important concept that you just outlined. I mean, so much of our business has come from people that have changed their jobs. I, I, it's like they they're at this company, and may, I guess this is also partially because we sell to outside salespeople who frequently do change jobs, right? But the the so much of our business is cut. Like we've we've had guys who are like the VP of sales and you know the VP, a VP of sales tenure in a lot of industries is like 1.75 years on average. So they're moving they're, they're basically moving around all the time. We've had guys go to four or five companies in the last decade and just they bring us bring us along they show up at a place first thing to do pow pop pop this in there and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know it's it's and it's amazing. I mean, so sometimes I'll I'll be able to track through. Like I'll find like I'll, I'll I'll be talking to someone and they'll be like, oh yeah, I've been using your stuff for years. I used it here, and then I brought it here, and then I brought it here, and I was like, did are you why they bought it at those other places? They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I told them about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, and your your clients basically becomes your sales force. Yeah. Who knew? Who well, knew? It's funny. It's one of the best things about selling to salespeople is they're great at communicating values. So like they switch jobs or they're just talking to someone, you know, in the waiting room somewhere. And like, they're able to quickly communicate that value, you know, before the match burns down. Right. So. Right. Right. They, they do it for you. They, they already have the trust factor, the credibility factor. And here's, what's really cool because they bring in Badger maps, right? So they bring in Badger. It makes them look good. Oh, so yeah. C-suite all of a sudden is thinking, Oh yeah, we made a great hire. Whatever, you know, additional bonuses or whatever extra was maybe like, eh, we don't know if we're going to give. Oh, yeah, this this person we're absolutely going to take care of because right out of the gate, you create a fast win for someone. Because going into a new company, doesn't matter how good you are. It's a bit stressful because you don't you have to learn the environment. You have to understand the, you know, the, the internal culture, the external culture, all of that. And to be able to have a win like, hey, this is how we're going to improve our sales process next. Yeah. yeah, but it, it, I was just uh, advising a, a friend of mine is just starting a, a new job at uh, one of the one of the big big five tech companies, and uh, and and I was you know kind of chatting with me the other day because they wanted my advice on how to start and stuff, and and I, and I, the two main things I said were uh, first work at least fifty percent more hours than you want to work in the future, and like for the first two or three months, just because then everyone's like, oh, they're a super hard worker. So like, you know, because people don't like to change their, ju- change their minds. Once they've decided you're a really hard worker, or once they decide you're really smart, or once they decide whatever, people tend to stick with that decision. They don't like to rearrange their brains. Um, and, and so just work really hard, like just put in tons of hours that first two or three months and, uh, and try to get some win. Try to, sh- try to, don't try to like, you know, create waves or anything, but just like try to, I think this is especially true of, of leaders and managers. Like if you're coming in at a higher level in a, in a company, like with a, a team, mm-hmm. you want to, you want to bring in something that gets a quick win that everyone, that everyone can point to that. They're just like, Oh yeah. I mean, we, I don't believe we didn't know about that or I don't believe we weren't doing yeah. it that way. Or I, I don't believe we didn't have a process for that. And, you know, Sarah came, came in and just, you know, told us that that existed and, now nah, that was awesome because we were doing it the hard way. And, there, and there's, there, you know, there's 
5,000, it's often easy to do with technology because there's 5,000 pieces of cool technology that all like automate this or that or make this easier or that easier, save you time over here, whatever it is. But if you can identify, oh, here's a place where the, the, this organization is missing this piece and I know about this piece from my last thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, well, we're, overwork and, and get a win under your belt uh, that, that in those first two or three months. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, one of the things when uh, back when I was developing and opening hotels is I gave myself, it didn't matter what the client was, four months. And in that four months, my goal was one thing to at some point in a meeting, have them say, I trust you. And so everything that I did was to show that, hey, I can you know trust Sonia to take care of things. And usually, and you know, in the beginning, it took me a full four months. Uh, you know, when I once I you know hit my strides, two to three months, I would be in a meeting. We'd talk with the clients, and you know what? Go for it. I trust you. And internally, I'd be like, yes, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Check because all of a sudden, the you know will show me the budget and, and and what's the bid process. All of a sudden, that goes out the window because I became that filter through. You've taken care of most of the details and I now only have to do the final say off. And I know that there's really like no, mis- you know, all the mistakes and the risks, not so much mistakes, but the risks you have filtered out 80% plus of the risks that comes with me making this decision as a client. So, you know, that's another thing. How can you help your clients see you're going to filter out 80% or more of whatever it is their real or perceived risks are? Filter it out. Let them see that. Oh gosh, I don't even have to think about that anymore. Yeah, you don't. It's it's so true. Trust is so important. I, yeah. I what would what would be useful for our listeners? To think how would you say? What would you say the best ways to earn trust are? Like how 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 do you go about that? Like you you obviously mm-hmm. were doing it quickly. You were doing it effectively. You were getting you were getting there where you check the box on trust. How, what would you do? What would you what would you advise someone who wanted to get better at that? So, so I was methodical about it. So, a, a couple of things. Trust is actually a symptom of consistency, right? Do you say what you're going to do? Do you do what you're going to say? It, it literally is that simple. Do you consistently show up? However, it is you're supposed to show up. So, if you're showing up for a weekly meeting, if you're there, are some of us who are. Uh, sticklers for time. So if you're consistently showing up five, 10, 15 minutes late to a meeting, you may be like, so what big deal? It's only five, 10, 15 minutes, my Uber driver, whatever, whatever. Like nobody cares about the excuse. Like what it comes down to is you didn't respect my time. Even if you text or call to say, hey, I'm going to be five minutes late. If you are consistently showing me you're five to 10 minutes late all the time for things, then in the in the mind of your your especially your buyer, the mind is what happens when an emergency happens where I can't spare five to fifteen minutes. What happens when an emergency happens? Will you come through or will you be late? That's they're they're projecting into the future the worst case doomsday escape from L.A. scenario, right? Independence Day, the aliens show up. Worst case scenario, <laughs> well, if the aliens show up, we all got different problems. <laughs> but but you know, it's like what's the worst case scenario in their mind? You can what you do consistently is being projected on that worst case scenario. 
So if you're consistent about whatever it is you do. So with my clients, it was consistently on time for meetings. It was actually, um, you know, asking key questions that not so much challenged them, but made sure that they were thinking through every, all the nuances of whatever that deal was. Um, the, you know, the other thing is I made sure that when they, in, um, expose me to the rest of their team, whether they're executives or their staff, made them look good, right? Like it, being able to show this was a good choice. You can trust your director's judgment because you know what? I'm coming in with things that are of value to you. And so I, I would say consistency, professionalism, um, and, uh, you know, speed. Speed is a relative thing. It's, you know, you, you do teach people how to treat you. And so if you're responding to emails at two o'clock in the morning, uh, I mean, unless, you know, you, you know, that's your business, right? You're in the shipping package shipping and yeah, 2 a.m. emails is normal. But, you know, if for most of us, it's during the day. So if you're responding during crazy off hours and it's not an emergency, you're teaching people you're on all the time. And you're setting and you're actually setting yourself up for failure. You're setting them up for failure because they're going to think anytime they send you something, they should hear back to, from you in five minutes. And so it's also trust is also about setting expectations to say, hey, here's what I get back to. And if I can't, you know, I'll, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll communicate that to or I'll have somebody else follow up. So it's it's about also setting those expectations. And if you just do that, I, nothing I said is complicated. If you just do those simple things and you do it on a consistent enough basis, you know, within, I, I would say, like I said, it took me on average three to four months to hear that I trust you phrase come out of my client's mouth. But once that happened, you know, not only did our, our business relationship get better, not that it was bad to begin with, but it was like things were more fluid and easy and it felt effortless. You know, I, I had clients who were trying to hire me directly. They were like, can you come work for me? No, no, <laughs> because then things would change. It wouldn't be as good. Um, but to your point, when they moved to other hotels and they did other things, guess who got a phone call? Hey, I'm working on this project. Can you take care of me? Absolutely. Send me over the documents. Let me take a look at it. Let me give you my feedback before you meet with the executives. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's one reason why it's so tough to switch careers mid uh, mid career, right? Switch industries or switch switch what you're doing. It's it's great to be like pick the path that you want to be on. Like you know, outside salesperson's a great one, right? Like pick the path that you're on and 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 stay on it for 25 years because then you know after 20 years you're 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 you know so much about things, you know so many people, you're selling, you've been selling to the same industry for for this whole time and. And, and you can really build so much value that way because you you're an expert and you're trusted and you know a lot of people already. You have, you have, the, you have the Rolodex. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, and it's interesting how we've come full circle back to this, who do you know? Like any of us can go to Google and find somebody to fix any of our problems, right? But at the end of the day, like how many of us ask our friends, you know, the, the person that we run into every time we walk our dogs, hey, who do you like, you know, when I have a little seven month old fur buddy and I'm like, OK, he has to get groomed. They have to board him sometimes. You think I went to Google to figure out all that? No, I saw some other lady walking a small dog. Who do you use? Complete random stranger, right? <laughs> I could ask Google or I can ask her because her dog looked like it was happy and healthy and had a great cut. And so just, just know that we're, we're back in this time of who do you know, send me their information, 
And that's like 80% of the buying process right there. And being that person of you're my guy, you're, you're my gal, you're the person that I get to set that I can send people to. And if you are, guess what? I look good. I kind of feel a little good about myself. Yeah, I sent them, sent them to Steve. He's a rock star. He's going to knock it out of the park. And then my friend's going to call me and say, oh my God, I'm so glad you made that recommendation. I'm like, girl, it's on me. It's all good. Let me take you out to dinner. Yes. Yes. Let's go to that Michelin three-star. Like, I did it for me. It wasn't about Steve. It was about me. It was about me getting free dinner. Dinner at a Michelin restaurant. Let's let's be let's be clear. For specific, specific. <laughs> well, so the next section is sales in sixty seconds. So uh, you know, quick questions, quick answers. Uh, first of all, uh, we haven't touched much on your crypto expertise, mm-hmm. but since you're super familiar with the crypto world, what what are the impacts that you're seeing it have on sales? Uh, a couple. Well, let's see. Right now, it's yeah, right now it's just more of a trend. But the thing is, at some point, crypto cryptocurrencies will have an impact on sales from a payments standpoint. Some vendors are, are will want to pay in Bitcoin. So just be aware. Just know how to have that conversation. Hey, can we pay you in Bitcoin? Oh, yes, we do have that system set up. Or what's Bitcoin? Oof, <laughs> you may lose that sale because you don't necessarily understand Bitcoin. Um, uh, understand Bitcoin payments and what's happening with Bitcoin. So I would say for right now with sales, it's a um, from a payment side and then perks. Some companies are offering like reward programs that are payable in Bitcoin. So just know that. So find out, talk to your executives to say, you know, what's our perks and payments, right? PP, perks and payments uh, program or initiative around uh, cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, because that's the largest. And what would you say your number one rule is if you're for a a sales team to to really scale? Uh, To really scale, I would say help at least with your prospects help people make a decision and not a choice a decision means that you are selecting something it's decide you're selecting something and ignoring all other alternatives or cutting off all other alternatives a choice is pick one two or 50 and that's overwhelming so the more that you can help people make a decision in a particular direction to get them to their goal that i find if that's your foundation you'll you'll grow leaps and bounds. And as we you often you have a ton of uh, sales courses. What's the what's the biggest lesson you've learned while teaching sales courses? <laughs> Implementation. Nobody wants to really do the work. They like the idea. They, they they get inspired by the information. But just know that we, you know we live in a world that if you can you know, basically create a done for you. A lot of us are in the just do it for me zone. And so because implementation is actually where the dissatisfaction kick in. You may, they may love the content, the ideas inspired them, but then dissatisfaction kicks in because nothing was implemented. And then they go through and buy the next shiny object and the next shiny object. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, did you implement any of this? Oh, no, I didn't have the time or I, I'm not technical. I'm not a developer. I don't really do tech or, what you know, the 101 excuses. So the more you can take the effort and implementation part off of people's plate to say, hey, we can do this for you. Once it's scaling, we'll go through the roof again. <laughs> so help you make a decision, help them implement, 
Um, and also know if they can't implement, right? So they, oh yeah, we're going to handle that because in the back of their mind, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to save $500 a month if I do it. It's like, actually, no, you're going to spend probably closer to $2,600 a month because your hourly rate to do it, plus the learning curve to do it, like you don't have that skill set to actually do it. So it's actually going to cost you three to four times more versus you paying us to do it. That is so often the case. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a trend that you'd say is going on in the world right now it's july of 2022 is there a trend that uh you feel like you've come across in your research or your teachings that uh not many people are talking about but you think would be a really helpful one for salespeople to understand yeah you, you know what's interesting is um what i would call like niche advertising and so, or basically niche sales. So being very specific and niche is not necessarily new, but here's the thing. Like there are some company, like your company may be spending like thousands on Facebook ads, Google, LinkedIn, right? And this is like real broadcast based, but what we're actually seeing is that there are, you're, basically leads and prospects are um, the conversion rates are a lot higher when you actually niche into uh, your your clients or ideal prospects industry. So for instance, if the industry is accounting, advertising on Facebook and LinkedIn, yeah, you, you'll do okay. But you advertise on one of the major like association channels, their marketing, you're likely, to, you're getting the eyeballs of exactly who you want to talk to, to the tune of tens of thousands, if not millions of visitors per month, per week that are all the same audience. And so um, it, it was almost a bit of a gold nugget we stumbled across in some of our research. We're like, oh, just niche. It's not just niche your your, pro, your your clientele. It's actually niche your advertising as well. And this goes with what I said earlier, the seeding, being able to show up early in their minds of what if things could be better. And you do that by uh, focusing on niche advertising. So, Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's uh and, and there's a lot of technology out there that helps us go after very specific markets. I, mean, I love advertising on LinkedIn. It's a little expensive sometimes, but you can get your message right in front of you know people in this industry with this title. It's super powerful. I mean, if more people want on LinkedIn all the time, it'd be more helpful. But you know, the uh, I, I think if you get your message in front of people that get the most value out of your product, yeah, there's much shorter sales cycles. Mm -hmm. They, it's worth, they, they, they pay higher prices. It's worth more to them. It's, it's the, the margins are better. Um, people, you know, it's just, it's a, it's really important from a marketing perspective to, to get a focused message in front of a, the focused group of people that, you know, get the most out of your product. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a new, I'm going to summarize, uh, I'm going to summarize the stuff we've talked about today, or at least I'm going to try to, um, and I, and I'm also going to give you a, the title to your next book. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a working title. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to massage it a little bit, but okay. here, here's, here's the, here's the title I got for you. Have confident conversations with curiosity to build connections and get conversions from competition with consistency. Oh my gosh. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> that's i will i would buy that to say what <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to read but i i it's 
you just you love these you love you love all the c words they just they, they I, I just strung them together for you there you go i love it i'm, I'm glad you came up with that <laughs> all right you can have that one for free i'm charging you to title your next book though your, your there you go the, the next one the next one <laughs> this one this one's free though this one's free <laughs> um so to summarize the stuff we talked about here first of all uh how prospects feel about a vendor often helps guide the purchasing decision. Think about ways to be unique, to stand out amongst the competition. Make sure that you maintain quality and that you meet a customer's or prospect's expectation. Things like, even simple things like being on time. You want to be inquisitive, curious, and flexible when, when you're selling. You want to ask the other key stakeholders Things like you want to say, hey, ask, you want to get in front of the other key stakeholders, bring them into the conversation by, by asking things like, well, who else do I need to engage with in order to deliver this to you? Who else needs to be in this conversation? Is there a process for that? You want to create experiences for your prospects that are different in order to stand out. You want to respect your prospect's time. You want to ask to schedule time before jumping into, into your sale. Start seeding prospects from the start. You want to you want to talk about having more and earning more. Um, you know, you want to show them show them the promised land that your product will take them to. At some point, it's often the feeling of discontent that drives a prospect to buy. Mm -hmm. So, payday conversations involve curiosity, confidence, and conversions. Curiosity is is how you show up. Confidence is you got to have confidence in how you can deliver and who you are as a person. And also you have to build that confidence. You have to build confidence that they can hold in you, the prospect can have in you. And then conversions, uh, you know, curiosity and confidence leads to conversions. So many great C words right there. So think about how you can customize. Ooh, see, customize. I didn't get the word customize in there. We might have to do some, some editing, but customize. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you wanna, all, all your main points start with C. It's like, uh -huh. the, it's like the eight C's. Is, is, is the, uh, that, that could be another name for your book, the eight C's. Uh -huh. <laughs> think about how you can customize your offer in order to be more competitive. And this, uh, this allows companies to charge more for those extra value add-ons. A lot of people feel powerless today. So you want to show prospects how they have power to take control over their outcomes. Show, show your prospects how you can filter out 80 to 90% of their perceived risk and, and take that risk off the table to, to close the deal. You want to build trust by being consistent, being on time, asking questions, and, and making your prospect look good. This has been a really fun, uh, a really fun episode. Where can our listeners get in touch with you how do they read more about your work um I, what's the best way to reach out to you honestly the best way is linkedin i'm very active on linkedin and um post a lot of great content and so reach out connect, start a conversation with me let me be your sounding board right start a conversation and uh look forward to talking with you soon <laughs> Awesome. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If anyone can think of any other reps that would benefit from learning these skills, definitely forward this episode along to them. Uh, if they just want to get inside of the, the mind of, uh, uh, of the person that actually holds the purse, the purse strings, the purchasing director here. Um, definitely uh, also always appreciate if you can leave a rating for the podcast that helps me uh, spread the word about what we're doing here for outside salespeople. 
Thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. It's been really great to talk to you, Sonia. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Take care until next time.